Well, we're continuing on this morning in our series on the Apostles' Creed, making some good headway into it. And uh, the last few weeks, we've been focusing on the person of Christ and then on what Christ has done in terms of accomplishing salvation for God's people. And uh, this morning, so last week, we focused on the ascension. Uh, he ascended into heaven and uh, is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And this morning, we come to the section of the Apostles' Creed, this ancient summary of the Christian faith that we've been focusing on, where it says uh, he will come again uh, from heaven to judge the living and the dead. And so we're talking about Judgment Day. And Judgment Day is not a popular topic. Uh, and usually when we think about Judgment Day, kind of in the abstract, or if you know a little something about Christianity, someone might say, well, like, doesn't it say God is love, though? You know, isn't God a God of love? How can there be, I don't like the idea of judgment, because God is love. And uh, if you think in those terms, what you have to come to terms with is that, well, it's the Bible that says that God is love. Like, nowhere else tells us that God is love but the Bible itself and the Bible often talks about God being a judge. And uh, Jesus even spoke somewhat often of the judgment day. And in the Bible, judgment is a good thing. And we're going to read a psalm this morning that talks about judgment like it's a really good thing. And so uh, please stand with me as we read Psalm 98. O oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Let's pray. Uh, Father, as we come now to your word, we pray that it would be a word of life to us this morning. Would you uh, send your spirit to apply it to our hearts and change us? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, so this is a psalm of praise, and it starts out like many other psalms, and uh, if you're reading through it, you might think, well, this kind of sounds like a lot of the other psalms, and you know, praise God, he's done marvelous things, his salvation, all these good things. And then it ends by, I think, surprising us a bit by saying, well, best part is he's coming to judge. It's good news that God is coming to judge the earth. Uh, let's praise him because he's coming as a judge. And so this morning, I want to look at just three things about judgment in this text and uh, I want us to uh, reflect a little bit on the goodness of God's judgment. So I want to look at first at why God judges, and then I want to look at the problem of judgment, and then finally I want to look at the life-changing wonder of judgment. And so first of all, 
I want to think about why God judges. And the idea of judgment can seem very arbitrary. I think, you know, in our culture, it seems very arbitrary when it's especially, like, taken out of context. Like, is God just sitting up there, like, with a hammer, just, like, looking to, you know, take some people down? Like, is he just kind of arbitrarily, like, into that? And if that's what God is like, then I don't really want to be anything, like, near that. I don't want to be a part of that. And, you know, that, that line of thinking is very divorced from what the Bible actually says about who God is and why God judges. So it's important that we immerse ourselves in scripture so that we can know the context of judgment. And if you read through scripture kind of from uh, beginning to end, it's a story and it's a, it, it tells a history of God's salvation. And here's the story. The story is that there's a good God and he is beautiful and good and holy uh, in and of himself and in love he creates a world. And the world is meant to reflect who he is and all of his goodness. And he creates mankind as kind of like the chief reflectors of his character and goodness. And it's this world where everything is peaceful and harmonious and everything just works the way it's supposed to work. But then his people turn on him and everything gets messed up. Everything gets sad. Everything becomes a shadow of what it was meant to be, and the world is from then on a place filled with evil, and God is responsible for this world, this world that he created to reflect his beauty, and so because God is beautiful and true and good, he has no choice but to root out the evil in his world to protect the world, to restore the world to that former beauty and glory. And you can see then why in Psalm 98, when it talks about like the rivers and the mountains and the hills and the seas, uh, they're praising, you know, if you think about these eternal things, you know, like rivers have been around forever. If you personify a river, like it knows what it was like before it all got sad. And so the rivers clap their hands. Uh, as God returns to judge, to make the world right again. So there will be a judgment day because the world we live in is just a shadow of what it was meant to be. And you might say, though, like, oh, come on, though, judgment, like vengeance, violent, like, come on, God is not, like, he's going to come with vengeance? And I'll just, you know, in your bulletin, there's a reflection from a man named Miroslav Volf. Uh, he's a theologian. He's from Croatia. He now is at Yale Divinity School, and he's done a lot of reflecting on, like, violence in the world based on where he comes from and the wars that have happened there and the people he's spoken to there. And something he says in addition to what you have in your bulletin there is he says, he, he talks to a lot of people who say, like, God couldn't be violent, though, and and, you know, God of vengeance, come on. And he just says it takes the quiet of a suburb to have that view. It takes the quiet, just a life that hasn't been exposed to much of what goes on in this world to have that view that uh, evil shouldn't be met with violence from God. Uh, consider some of the things that are widespread in our world today. Uh, each year, nearly two million children are exploited and trafficked in the commercial sex trade. Uh, that's part of a broader number of about 50 million people in our world today who are slaves. 
There are unspeakable atrocities happening today in places like China, in Ukraine, in Afghanistan, and many other countries in our world. Closer to home in the U.S., 15,000 people in the U.S. are murdered every single year, not to mention all the injustice in our own city, okay? So that's why God is coming to judge. God hates that stuff. Dark and awful things happen in God's world every day, and God is opposed to it. If bad stuff has happened to you personally, you need to hear this morning that God hates it. He hates that stuff, and he's on a mission to bring justice and set everything right to the way it is supposed to be. So that's the why of judgment. But I want to look then at the problem of judgment. Uh, So God has good reasons to bring judgment. He's going to root out evil in our world to make it the way it's supposed to be. But the problem for us in judgment is that, well, which evil gets rooted out? And the Bible firmly says all of it. All the evil gets rooted out. And again, this is great news. Uh, We, my wife Maggie and I have young children, and at the stage of life we're in now, our, our Two kids are, they're buddies, but there's conflict. Uh, Oftentimes, they'll be playing in another room, and there will be a conflict, and then one of us will be drawn in uh, to mediate the conflict. And the honest truth is that we don't really have a way of knowing what actually happened. And we're often trying to set things right, but, you know, we're getting one side of the story, then the other. They're conflicting, and oftentimes we just know there's going to be, like, some miscarriage of justice in the process. And maybe you can remember being on the receiving end of that where you're just like, well, they said this, but I know what really happened, and it wasn't that. And that's just the way it is. We know going into that scenario that we're not going to be able to set it completely Right. Maybe you have relationships in your life where things have happened and they haven't been made right and you just feel that tension of, like, this hasn't been set right yet. This has not been dealt with and it's deeply unsatisfying, right, to know that it just hasn't been, there's a loose end in justice, uh, a part of a relationship that just isn't the way it's supposed to be. And the good news that the Bible tells us is God sees everything. He doesn't miss like one little thing and he sees the thoughts behind the injustice and he sees the motivation behind injustice. And so when Jesus comes to judge, there's not going to be one loose end. There's not going to be one thing that God doesn't see that he doesn't make right. But then the problem for us is we contribute to a lot of the wrong. You know, even if we don't murder people or enslave them, the seeds of all these sins are in our own heart. This is a point that Jesus makes in the Sermon on the Mount is uh, that God looks on the heart. And, okay, great, you've never murdered someone, but you know what the root of murder is? Anger, pride, selfishness. And if you have those seeds in your heart, then that cannot go into the new heavens and the new earth. That has to be dealt with, too. And so when Jesus judges, he judges like a cancer doctor, like an oncologist. Uh, I saw in my... 
uh, social media feed not too long ago, a picture of an old acquaintance that I did not recognize. I did a double take because she is bald, because she has cancer and is being treated for cancer. And if you think about what happens when you're treated for cancer is you just got to kill it all. It is a harsh, horrible disease and treatment because you can't leave one cancer cell behind in order to cure someone with cancer, and sin is the same way. You can't leave one bit of sin behind in the world that God has come to inaugurate, okay? And sin is a cancer. It goes out of control Quickly and judgment day is the same thing as that judgment day is when everything evil will be Removed not even a hint of sin can remain which is just a problem for us, right? That presents a big problem if you are living life in this world and you might say well like well Why why do I have to live by God's standard of judgment like justice? Like why does you know? Why am I obligated to use that standard and Francis Schaeffer, who was a kind of a big deal in the 70s and 80s in the Christian world, author, he, was a real, he had a really effective ministry to skeptics. And he would often get this question of, you know, like, I don't, why can't I decide like, what the standard is? And he would say, okay, you can. And he would say, imagine that you, we hung like a recorder around your neck and it was set to hit the record button every time you said, uh, I don't get why people can't just fill in the blank, or people should fill in the blank. So every time it records that, whatever is in the blank, and then it plays them all off, and it measures how you actually live compared to how you expect others around you to live. And he said, you can be judged by God's standard or by your own standard, but you will not pass. Okay, so judgment is a problem for us no matter what standard we use. And so I want to look now, then, at the life-changing wonder of God's judgment. Psalm 98 is ama- it's an amazing text. This, it's a hymn that Israel would sing uh, because it talks about salvation and judgment like they're the same thing. Because in the beginning it says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. And yet the end is all about judgment. And it's like, well, what's going on? How can this be about salvation, uh, God saving people, and judging all sin at the same time? And the answer that is often the answer is the cross. Okay, the amazing thing that no one saw coming back when Psalm 98 was written and when it used to be sung in the temple is that God was actually going to come twice. First, he was going to come to be judged, and then he would come to judge. And so when Jesus showed up 2,000 years ago, he came to be judged. And he actually, like, went on trial. And person after person tried to find something wrong with him, and they couldn't find it. He was the one person that there could be found no flaw in. He was scrutinized, and he passed every test. And as we saw a couple weeks ago, he died all the way. He suffered and was crucified and was buried. He really died. 
And the result is that for those who will take it, you can have his credentials instead of yours. Uh, I grew up in New Jersey, small town in New Jersey. It was a really great place to grow up, and we had a train in our town that would take you to New York City, to Manhattan, and so a lot of people in my town commuted to the city to work, and I had a friend that I grew up with whose dad was the TV reporter for the New York Times. Uh, and so you wouldn't know his name, he wasn't famous in that sense, but if you were like in the TV industry, you would definitely know who this man was. And so if you worked at like NBC or CBS, you knew who he was, and so as we were growing up, my friend and I and some other friends kind of figured out that we could go to New York City, and we could, when bands that we like were playing on late night TV shows, we could probably go. And so we did. And so you got a picture like a raggedy group of high school clowns walking into 30 Rockefeller Plaza up to the desk where the intern had the list, and we'd walk up and we'd say who my friend's dad was. And then we would be escorted past all these people who had like camped out for this opportunity to the front of the line where we would like go and be on TV shows and stuff like that and meet celebrities and it was all because we had this name, this magic name that we could drop and it, we just went in front of everyone. This man had good credentials and it always worked, like it never didn't work. And the bottom line of Judgment Day is you'll either show up with your worthless credentials or Jesus' credentials. Your credentials have things like, you know, your credentials are like sinner, traitor, uh, with the roots of murder in your heart. Or you can have Jesus' credentials, which are beloved son of God, on whom justice has no claim. And if you have Jesus' credentials, that's everything. Uh, think about what we're like. Like, we live in a culture that says, no judgment. Like, don't judge me. Uh, if you ever worked out at a Planet Fitness, you know, like, their thing is it's the judgment-free zone in Planet Fitness. And what they mean by that is, like, anyone can come and you don't have to be in shape to work out. And so what they really mean is it's a no-negative judgment zone, Right? Because, like, if I were to walk up to someone and be like, you're doing great, you're doing a great job, they wouldn't be like, don't judge me. They would say, like, thank you so much, because we need that, right? Like, we need uh, the affirmation. Uh, this is why social media is a powerful force in our culture, because with social media, you can put something personal out there, and you can get a bunch of thumbs-ups back. And it's like intoxicating, right? And whether you're on social media or not, we live for this stuff. This is why perfectionism is a powerful force in our culture because I can like put myself out there and if I get a bunch of these back, man, that's everything. Like I need that. I need a word from the outside telling me you're acceptable, you're loved, you're good. But what we also know about ourselves is, are all the reasons no one should love us. The things we've said, the things we've done, the things we've thought about doing. 
which is why we go hunting for more of the likes, more of the affirmations, something I can do to make people tell me I'm good. But if Jesus has been judged in your place, then we have all the affirmation. We have all the status. We have all the delight today, right now. If Jesus is both your Savior and your judge, then the judgment is in on you today, right now. And the judgment is, beloved child, forever secure, delighted in by the one who made you and who now lives only to bless you, only to draw you into fellowship with him that is eternal. I want us to just close in thinking, how else should this idea of God coming as a judge change us this morning? And first of all, it ought to make us a lot less harsh and a lot more gentle, right? I, don't, I have the seed of every sin in me, and yet somehow, through the cross, God approves of me, and he pursues me in love. He's declared that I'm worthy in Christ. I've got the credentials. It ought to make us less easily slighted, less easily offended. Christians ought to be like the least offendable people in the world because we know all the reasons that we, the people ought to be offended by who we are, and we know that there's a God who's going to set everything right in the end. Uh, it ought, God's judgment ought to give us also joy in the midst of sorrow, right? The reality is there's a lot of bad things that we see, and it's right to hate that stuff, and it's right to mourn that stuff, but in the midst of that mourning, we ought to have great joy in knowing that it's going away forever. It will not be there when we live all of eternity with our king. And finally, it ought to empower us God's judgment ought to empower us to forgive big, like really big. I don't need to get justice today. God's going to handle it. I wanna, there's a man I went to seminary with. He was a part-time actor, and he was a seminary student. He was a really talented actor, and while he was a seminary student, he was cast as Hamlet in Shakespeare in the Park in St. Louis, which is a big deal. It's like a professional it's professional, high-quality acting in the park, in Forest Park in St. Louis. And uh, so the interesting thing about him, his name is Jim Butts, and he got cast as Hamlet in the previous year. Well, Hamlet is a play about revenge. And the previous year, Jim Butts' sister was tortured and killed in a home invasion. And so the local newspaper picked up on the story. There's this guy playing Hamlet. And he's got, like, some real vengeance-type stuff going on in his own story. And so they wrote this article about him, and they interviewed him, and this is what he said. He said, in the Judeo-Christian tradition, vengeance is God's. This is a, he's talking about Hamlet now. This is a revenge tragedy, and revenge is always tragic. It never brings justice or even satisfaction. And the article goes on to say, Revenge is something Butts has given a lot of thought to since his sister was murdered last July during a home invasion. Since Teresa's death, her family in St. Louis meets every Sunday night to pray and cry, to talk and mourn together. Jim, who is among them, can't deny the impulse for vengeance. And this is what he says in the article. He says, I have had silent monologues where I imagine verbally assaulting Teresa's killer physically assaulting him, but said, 
I lost someone who was very, very dear to me in a horrific way. She was tortured. She was murdered. But what would be enough? To punch the man who did this to her? To skin him alive? I do not believe that would equal what I want. What do I want? I would love to have some face time with him. I want him to repent. I want to be reconciled with him. The renewal of all things is coming, and I would love to see him there with my sister. I don't see any other way. Do you see how beauty flows from God's judgment? Do you see how a beautiful life of reconciliation comes when we leave vengeance to God? This is a picture of the reality God's judgment is going to usher in. It's going to usher in a world of beauty and love and harmony where people love each other and uh, where just the beauty of human relationship is on full display. Okay, so Jesus is coming again to judge. And that is such good news for those who are waiting on it. I want to ask you this morning in closing, how often do you think about it? You need to think about it more. Let your heart be changed by it this morning and every day. Let me close us in prayer. Uh, Father, we do pray that we would live with appropriate perspective, uh, knowing who you are, who we are, and what's been done to save us, and what is to come. I pray that you change us by it, and that you would make us into people who live beautiful lives in light of the fact that you're coming to judge. We pray this in Christ's name.